Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Samurai Brothers podcast. And uh, we're back with a uh, a new episode, Matthew. Once again, we had to take a little bit of a break because of a lot of things that were happening. But uh, well, one yeah. big thing in particular. What? One big thing in particular. Yeah. But uh, we're now on episode twenty-one of our uh, podcast that we've been able to do, and uh, so we've got. Uh, Quite a few things to talk about uh, today, Matthew. Uh, obviously, the uh, first thing that was that we all uh, took a nice family vacation, so that was uh, nice and fun to do. And uh, you know, not uh, haven't been able to do that in a while, considering the events, you know, and the circumstances of the past couple of years. So it was nice to get out of the um, get out of California for a while. So that's the uh, first thing we'll get into today. And then uh, we got into, Matthew, I'm sure you were uh, watching it live, uh, UFC 277, is that correct? Yep. So we'll be... It did not disappoint. Yes, we'll be talking about that. And then uh, while we were on vacation, we followed up on uh, the Sumo Nagoya 2022 Basho, which is the Basho tournament that takes place in July. And then, uh, so how did that go? Who ended up winning the Basho? And I uh, got to do a little bit of a personal experience with some sumo, so we'll get into that. And then lastly, Matthew, One Piece. It's back. It was on a four-week break, but it's back. And because of uh, we were busy traveling and stuff, we have actually have two chapters to cover with that today. So... I think actually we got quite an action-packed episode for today, don't you yep. think? So uh, yeah, we certainly do. So let's get right into it then, uh, Matthew. So we took our nice family trip to Hawaii, and uh, so we went to Hawaii Island. So not the Oahu, which is where the capital of Honolulu is, and that that is the most populous of the Hawaiian islands, but uh, we decided to go a little bit of the nature route, if uh, you remember that. So it was a, it was an interesting trip. Uh, obviously, day one, we got into Kona and uh, got to see a little bit of the uh, the mountains and stuff, the, the dormant volcanoes and the, all the lava rocks, pretty much from the airport to the hotel. Yeah, right? that, that entire island has... Lava rocks. Yeah, it's basically lava rock. And then Well, if you think about it, the island is one big volcano. Of course. Of course. That's the thing. Um now obviously what we saw when we were driving there, I think that's the dormant uh one of the dormant volcanoes, I believe. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Yes, the the yeah, we're we're we were on the side with the dormant volcano. So it was all good, you know, and um, 
I think just kind of breaking it down, uh, obviously one of the things that uh, we did the most, well, at least me, mom and dad and maybe Diane and, uh, you know, drinking a lot of coffee and, uh, you know, it being Kona coffee and stuff. <laughs> so that was that. Glad uh, you all enjoyed it. I'm not a coffee drinker. Yeah, but. There was obviously a lot of things like uh, Matthew, um, you know, we went to the, the macadamia nut factory and um, twice, you know, twice. And you got to do the taste testing. So when you were doing the taste testing and uh, how many flavors did, did the did the lady let you all test out? I think like 10. Was it 10? I thought there was more when I was looking at it. Obviously, I. I didn't participate in that because of uh, there might have been 20. Yeah, I, I remember that there was quite a few lined up. But what would you say was your favorite in that? Um, the uh, the birthday cake. Birthday cake. Yeah, I, I missed that one because I, I remember I heard like wasabi and I heard like soy sauce in there. Wasabi, soy sauce, sriracha. Oh, yes, Sriracha. That probably would have been fun. Uh, plain. Yeah, there were, there were quite a few, obviously. I think there was some, like, a roasted. I don't know if there was a cocoa-covered one or not. There, there was a coffee-covered one. There might have also been a cocoa-covered. Right. Uh, of note, I am slowly but surely posting these onto my YouTube channel, and uh, they're apparently very popular on my YouTube channel. So they'll just, you know, more more to come. It was has been suggested that I do one exclusively for the coffee uh, um, plantation visit. So, yeah. So, oh, yes. And that's the other thing we did was we visited the, the coffee plantation. And one of the things I found amazing was the, the actual coffee process, because I'd never been aware of what all this specifically goes into, you know, cultivating coffee. And I, I had, yeah, I, I didn't know either. And because, like I said, I'm not a coffee drinker. It's just something I was just like, well, I don't care. But yeah, it's it's a labor intensive process. And it is. It's very labor intensive. Well, yeah. And you think about how little coffee is produced by, you know, all the the um, plants and stuff like that. It's just like where in the world are, are places like Starbucks and Folgers and these mega corporations getting all their coffee from? Well, but like the guide had been mentioning, you know, Hawaii, you only have so much real estate, you know, and you've only got so much space to. And the macadamia, yeah, and the macadamia, and another thing is the macadamia yeah. coffee industries are competing with each other. Right. They're oh, also, no, we, um, in, the guy acknowledged that coffee did not come from, um, Hawaii, and neither did macadamia nuts. Macadamia nuts are originally from Australia. Mm -hmm. And, um... But, they, but they grow very but they grow very well in Hawaii and some of the other, you know, Pacific islands. 
Yeah, which is why, you know, you have those very specific brands of, of coffee. Or, or in the case of the macadamia nuts, the macadamia nuts. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but uh, I'm, I'm very sure that, that once you get your movie together... And I'm very sure that it'll be very interesting to see how the whole process works. But, you know, so they got to they got to pick all the, you know, and just just for anyone who doesn't know. Coffee comes from from a specific type of cherry, you know, not the normal cherries that you would see in the grocery stores, but it's it's a different kind of cherry. But the one thing that they make sure to do is to use that cherry for like extract and stuff like that. So for other kinds of, it's one of those things where the main product is uh, the is the coffee bean. Yeah, yeah, the main product, product is tea. coffee beans, but they find ways to make money off of everything else. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like, uh, you know, when we went to the nut factory, they, you know, they, um, in the the video we watched, they talked about how the nuts, everything about the nuts, the nutshell, the 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 various, you know, the quality of nuts, it's like all of that is used to some degree. Right. It's one of those things where you make as much money as possible. Well, you, you have. It's to. like you're you're squeezing everything, every cent. Out of the product. Yeah, because in the case of, of farming in an area like that, and especially in Hawaii, your margin of error is uh, very, very minimal. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, that was a very interesting experience. And that's when the one thing about the coffee farm that we went to was that, you know, it was it was a free tour and nothing against those other the other farms that were, you know, charging money for the tours. But um, this particular farm also was providing free samples of all the various flavors of the coffee. And, uh, you know, I, getting to, you know, drink some of those uh, was pretty nice. And it actually made me want to buy the coffee that was there. And, you know, I Hawaiian coffee. I bought some ice cream. <laughs> well, and Hawaiian coffee, especially Kona. That's not your, it's not your cheap Folgers or U-Ban or, or brands and stuff like that. This is like quality, quality coffee. And then on top of that, you know, it's, it's not mass produced. So it's going to be a little bit on the expensive side, but I definitely think that it was money, you know, well spent. You know, yeah, it's, it's like the guy said it, the, that, um, you know, Kona coffee just all all brands all across the specific Kona Hawaiian Kona coffee um, is like what below one percent of the global coffee market. Mm-hmm. That's a very specialized coffee there. Right. Well, so it's I, like you're you're paying for the price of good coffee. And I don't know if you had heard him, but he was talking to mom and dad also about like you know how much they're their gross, like their gross product and how much they end up, you know, shipping out. And I think he said it, it was something like a million pounds a year, which, you know, a million pounds, you know, that might seem like a lot, but when you, when you have Starbucks, him, what Starbucks does like a million pounds a day or something like well, that. It, it's the farm that right would sell to, you know, either Starbucks or U-Ban or Folgers, you know, these places 
you know, when you go to the South American countries, because, you know, land is a bit more accessible there. You know, you're not having to fly it or, well, you might be flying it, but you don't have to put it on a boat in order to get it to, you know, its destination. And so that's where, you know, these big coffee plantations out in somewhere like Brazil or maybe Colombia, right, he was saying that they had an executive from one of those plantations and, you know, where he's saying that this particular farm is exporting a million pounds a year. You got these people out in Brazil or Colombia, they're exporting a million pounds a week. So I think that's why they can say that, you know, they can mass produce it. And I think that's how they can keep the prices of the coffee low when it's hitting grocery shelves. Well, and, and that's another thing to keep in mind is that, you know, they said that there's the coffee belt. It's basically like around the equator. I don't think people realize Hawaii is the furthest American territory south. It's like you're not just when you fly out to Hawaii, you're just not just flying west. You're flying southwest, which is funny because we're on Southwest Airlines, which I I personally had a fun experience with those flights. I I don't know about you, but I personally had a a nice experience. Oh, yeah, because I could hear you talking to people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You were always able to sit next uh, or near me, not next to me. Yeah. Was but kind, yeah, I was within ears. Well, you know me. I'm a social butterfly. I talk to yeah, I talk to anyone who's wanting to talk to me. Yeah. I'm an extrovert. So. Yeah, that's that's you know. So I think we had a good experience regarding that. Um, also, getting to go uh, and and well, and the other thing is, you know, they weren't just growing coffee on there. I mean, they were growing pepper. They were growing, um, I think, bananas. Bananas, uh, and they had avocado. It was a diversified plantation, so they weren't coffee. May maybe may be their main thing, but they're they've they've diversified. Right. So you've got that, uh, and, and I then, think it's in such a way that all the plants have different growing seasons. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly making money off of the plants. And then uh, where else? Well, obviously we went to the macadamia um, factories. We also went to uh, the we waterfalls. Went to, I forget what the Hawaiian name for the temple is, but we went to that temple mm-hmm. where King Kamehameha. That's oh, oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds um, like gosh, I forget that's, what it was called. That's yeah. such that's such a cool name, Kamehameha, <laughs> King Kamehameha the first. Well, that's why I was saying the Hawaiian like, unifies. I would. I want to know. Did 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 Akira Toriyama get the Kamehameha from Dragon Ball? You know, did he get that from King Kamehameha? You know, of Hawaii. Did Did you uh, find any info on that? No, I haven't been able to do any research on that. But I would be really interested to see. Did you know? Was Was Dragon Ball? At least the name of that move, you know, because you got Goku using it. I think Krillin has been able to use it. A lot of people, a lot of characters in Dragon Ball. Saiyans. Right, the Saiyans, the Saiyans, they use the Kamehameha. And of course, you know, sometimes you'll have the villains using it too. 
and stuff because they learn it. But yeah, did King Kamehameha, as they were calling it, you know, because they really say it really fast. But so you got Kamehameha, which is the Japanese, you know, you got to say it like that in Japanese because it's pronounced that way. So yeah, I'm I'm really wondering, did King Kamehameha was he the inspiration for that for that move, at least the name wise? But yeah, you know, this guy really he he um he unified Hawaii. He was the I don't know if you could call him the Oda Nobunaga of Hawaii. Except he succeeded where Nobunaga failed. Well, Nobunaga's problem is he got assassinated when he was, what, two-thirds through Japanese unification? Yeah. Yeah. And then Hideyoshi technically finished it, and then um, Ieyasu... um, Ieyasu, uh, I think, yeah, I forget what the terminology was, but he was like, he cultivated it. I think the way that they say, the way that they put it is, I think they said Nobunaga gathered it, uh, Hideyoshi ground it, and Ieyasu ate it. Right. Something to that effect. But yeah. So there's that. And of course, and of course, um, there's speculation that Nobunaga might have wanted to invade Korea, and that's what inspired Hideyoshi. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Because I'm very sure that the leadership of it would have gone a lot differently under Nobunaga than it would Hideyoshi. Yeah, let, let's let's face it. Hideyoshi was competent enough to unify Hawaii, but... In some ways, he's a, he was always a bumbling buffoon. Yep. And it reflected when he tried to invade Korea. Now, on the other hand, you have Nobunaga, who was earned the nickname the the ogre or the devil, depending on the translation of Oni. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was known for his brutality, so... Yeah, very brutal. Yeah, but... We're 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 squirreling. Um, Kamehameha the first. So we saw his temple, where um, that's now a, a state park. Right. And it was the last temple built um, for Hawaiian purposes. And then he goes on this campaign of conquering uh, the rest of the Hawaiian islands, starting with Owa- starting with Maui, and then just going up through the island chain and mm-hmm. becoming Kamehameha the Great. And starting this dynasty that ended when... Right, uh, the dynasty, I think they had something like... Ten? Was it ten? I'd like to say ten. Or ten And it ended with the first queen. Right. In a coup that... Of, uh, yeah, anyways. Well, that's interesting. Well, yeah, uh, you know, so a little bit of Hawaiian history there. Uh, we did snorkeling. Um, it was my first time doing it, so I didn't really have a good experience, uh, because... 
Now I, I forgot. Got, did I got you beat, did, beat down by the waves so much? Yeah. No. No. Did did you? Was your problem that you got was that you were having problems gripping because of your feet, or did you get beat by the waves, or did you inhale water? What was it? Because I could tell you started to panic like the moment you got into the water. It was the water. Just I'm 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 losing control of where I'm either standing or where I'm trying to grip. Then on top of that, when I was trying to grip on the rocks. I'm either grabbing sharp edges or I'm ending up grabbing because there were urchins on there too. I could see urchins. You, yeah, you know, I could see urchins too, but I could see where they were in the crevices, so I was able to avoid any grabbing any sea urchins. Right. Well, yeah. So the rocks were Brett, slippery. Uh, Brett and our sister were in there the longest. Right. So our, the rocks our, were a bit our slippery. Cousin, so. Our cousin Brett, who is. Uh, doing juniors hockey in the um fall mm-hmm. so in georgia so um yeah it was it was hard to kind of grip stuff um plus you have these drops and stuff so i'm not really sure where i'm going to be stepping and all obviously the rocks were uneven and stuff so. and we had that one nut saying you're gonna you're yeah. damaging the, the coral when you're standing on it's like it's a rock I can tell a rock when I see one. Right. Yeah, there's a bit of those environmental nuts out there. So it's like we wouldn't have been allowed on the beach, yeah. let alone into the water, if it were, if if you if there, if there was worries about. It's like there is a very distinct difference between coral and a rock. Mm-hmm. I can tell a rock when I see one. I wouldn't have been able to stand on coral. Even with my my water shoes on. So yeah. Oh yeah, and I did get I did get um uh, um action cam uh footage of that, which uh, I'll I'll also be posting. Um, I tested out a new action cam, which is supposed to be better quality than the Vivitar. The Vivitar was the which funny enough the Vivitar camera. My first review of it is still my top trending video on my channel right now. I've had some very interesting times of of top trending videos on my channel, but yeah, the I guess because it's a cheap GoPro, it's um uh, it's still trending. I got it at Best Buy. So I know we did. No 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 big lots. So we did the waterfalls also. Uh, oh yeah, that was, the, yeah, that was fun. We had the luau. We got to watch the luau and stuff. Uh, a lot of the dancing, singing. Which included, which included hakas. Yeah, they had some hakas. We are yeah. fans of the haka. We are fans of the war dance. So yeah, a lot of fun stuff. But I think overall. Oh. The, yeah, we got to see the volcano, the actual magma. Yeah, we got to see magma. So um, I think we'll be trying to. I I will probably upload, you know, the footage I got from that. Um, minimal as it was, I will put that up on uh, on this channel. I'll put that together uh, for everyone to see that too. So yeah, it was really fun stuff. So definitely, I've not really seen magma in person before. So definitely, that was a good experience for that but matthew i think overall i think our number one a lot of people's number one picks 
for the uh, their favorite event, at least on our vacation for Hawaii. Uh, definitely the stargazing. Yeah, it's it's the universe as it's meant to be seen. Um, you know, it's you like go you got this 9, the Milky Way, feet. all the constellations, the just galaxies, planets. It's like you got to see it all. Right. Just uh, amazingly, you know, you you see Saturn with the naked eye. You see, you know, the Big Dipper is really big, uh, Orion's Belt, and then yeah, you got to see shooting stars. But the the Milky Way, I never seen the Milky Way like that before. So, again, I would recommend to anyone, you know, when you're in Hawaii, you definitely need to go to the top of the mountain and you need to go stargazing because it's just uh, an amazing uh, thing. The fact that we're just a small speck in this big universe and then all those stars are light years away and stuff, too. So all the light you're seeing from them is, you know hundreds of thousands of even tens of thousands of years old so anyway yeah so that was that was our hawaii trip uh so you know it was good family time and uh definitely i would if i'm gonna go to hawaii again i would definitely want to go to the the big island again to enjoy that so yeah anything else on that matthew Actually, if I wanted to, if I were to go back to Hawaii, I think I'd want to check out Honolulu. Definitely. Yeah. Or, or yeah, I was like, oh, Oahu. I want to, I want to see. Well, because my thing is, I want to see Pearl Harbor. Right. I want to see the hollowed waters of Pearl Harbor, which, to be fair, on our flight back, you know, we had the layover in Honolulu, and I got to see Pearl Harbor from the sky, but, you know, we were only there for. What, an hour? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. That was that was good. It was good. Definitely, I enjoyed it. All right, Matthew. Let's get into our next subject for today. Uh, UFC 277. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, screen share this. And uh, to see what we got going on. So I'm hoping that you can uh, see uh, see this. I hope I'm actually showing, right? And you had to go to Sheer Dog because for some reason the uh, the um yeah the UFC website is not functioning. So anyway, Matthew, two UFC 277. This was uh, Nunez vs. Pena, and I guess it was Nunez versus Pena two. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, because in December they uh, they um, faced off, and it was very atypical Amanda Nunez. It looked more like um, like pre goat Amanda Nunez, as in it looked it looked like I don't. It's like I don't know what it was. I don't know if she just had a bad weight cut or if um, she uh, if she um, just for some reason um, adrenaline dumped, or if she punched herself out in the first round, but yeah, it was it was, it was she didn't look at the top of her game to begin with in that first fight, and then you and then you see um, Juliana go in there and pull off the upset, and I was like, oh my gosh! 
And then this fight, it was returned uh, dominated. The favor was returned. Yeah. And right. I, 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 I agree with um, Juliana. I do not, I like Dana White blew it out of proportion. Amanda did not remo- remove a chunk of her head. She gave her two large gashes, but she did uh-huh. not remove a chunk of her head. Oh. <laughs> There's a difference between a chunk and a gash. All right, so let's get into the um, the fights that happened. So obviously, the, a lot of stuff going on here. Nunes stuns and drops Pena in the second round. Several times, I'm surprised. There's times where I also, I'm honestly surprised the ref didn't stop it. But so let's see here. Um, I think the breakdown. I mean, they got a lot of breakdowns here um but i think we're just going off the i think is the if i'm looking at uh, this that's the weigh-ins oh this was the weigh-ins that's the weigh-in well let's now, see I, is this the order of the matches as they occur? yeah that's the order of the matches huh, looks like a prelim okay, guy missed so me. you had uh i'm not sure how this is pronounced orion koski kos I don't know. It was on the prelims. I didn't even see it. So, yeah, miss weight by a lot. So, obviously, that's a... Uh, and we've yeah. talked about our our criticism of people missing weight because we never missed weight. Right. So, I think the official result was that uh, this Orion guy who missed weight ended up winning a unanimous decision, but uh, I guess he doesn't get that big of a purse since he missed the weight. Am I correct? Yeah, because he got fined. His purse went to, um, and part of his purse went to his, uh, his um, opponent. Yeah, his opponent. That's the way in which they punish you. It's that, is that guess what? Money goes bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, next fight. I think this is light heavyweight, correct? That is correct. So Nikolai Negu Merono. Negumero versus Ihor Poitieria. And uh, so let me see here. In the end, what happened? Again, I didn't watch. I didn't watch the prelim. It was a he def- Nicolay Negumero TKO round two. TKO round two. And you had Jocelyn Edwards versus Jiyeon Kim. This was a uh, another missed weight, so that's um, two on a on a. What what is what is? You got a fight night? Oh, pay per view. Two on a pay per view. You, I mean, prelims. That's atypical. But. Usually, fighters are are good at hitting their their um. On a pay per view. Well, just on average. Um, Nowadays, fighters are have kind of figured out the weight cutting. Right. So the fact that there was two on a pay-per-view is unusual. So, again, so Jocelyn Edwards defeated Ji-Yeon Kim by split decision. And, again, the person who missed weight ended up being the winner but loses out on the money. So then you have Adam Fugit. And Michael Morales. 
So names that I'm not too familiar with. They're up and comers. Uh, let me see here. It looks like Michael Morales defeated Adam Fugit in round three via TKO punches. Rafa Garcia versus Drakar Close. You know, Drakar Close is one of those guys that I honestly think has the potential, but he's just not able to break out of that um, just below contender um, position. He's not quite a gatekeeper, but he's not a contender yet. So, like, he's not like a, yeah. Sure, Dog is saying he's the initial aggressor at the start of round three. Um,. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, but it looks like he did win. Uh, yeah, she was able to get this one. Okay, so Hamdi Ab- Ab- Abdelawaba. He is, um, uh, um, I think he's Egyptian is what the thing said. Uh-huh. Versus Dontail Mays. So May Mays has kind of been around two and two in the USC. So this was Abdelawab. This was his debut in the UFC. First Egyptian-born fighter in the UFC. And uh, oh, all five of his pro bouts were won by knockout. So that's quite something. He only made his debut in twenty twenty October twenty twenty one. Wow. Yeah. So, well, in other parts of the world, they don't have the, you know, all the athletic commission um, stalling and stuff like that. It's, it's, they'll, they'll, as long as you're healthy and don't have a major injury, they'll, they'll plug you into a fight. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that fighting in, I don't know if it's the Middle East specifically or Europe or wherever, you know, it's like you get one knockout, do well, plug you back in and, So Abdelawab ended ended up winning via split decision. There were times where it got close to finishing, but yeah, uh-huh. he he was definitely the 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 um man who dominated that fight. Uh, Rafael Alves versus Drew Dober. Anything about these guys? Uh, Dober is another one of those guys where I'm just like, you know what? He's like, oh, these guys there, have been around for a while. Yeah. 30 at 30 plus fights for each each fighter. So that's that's quite something. Um is a guy who I've been aware of but for some reason or another I just haven't seen him fight that much. He doesn't this, stick out to me. Oh, this was a looks like this was a, a body punch knockout. Yeah, he well, what happened was he yeah, he um it was specifically it looked like it probably hit either the diaphragm or the um uh is it the pancreas? Uh, no, the liver. Mm-hmm. And if you if you hit either of those organs just right, it, it, it's going to happen like what would happen with Al Alves, where he just collapsed. Because yeah. your body can't function, you can't breathe. Right. Like I know what's ha- I I know what's like to. Get that area knocked out. Just like you cannot breathe. It's like, ah! You literally cannot breathe. 
So Alex Morono versus Matthew Semmelsberger. Uh, so Morono's a veteran, obviously. And these are two guys that have kind of been there, but they've been on the undercards. Like then they're not really standing. Not really making an impact. Yeah, they're not just some fighters just do that all the time. They're they were you know, it's like they've been in the UFC for years, but it's like uh, maybe they might 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 make the main card and but they don't stand out. So this was a unanimous decision by Alex Morono, who I think was the veteran. So goes to him. Uh, Magomed An- Ankalav versus Anthony Smith. If I recall, this was on the pay-per-view. Well, actually, that first one might have been on the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. I like to say that first one was on the pay-per-view. Anthony Smith's been around for a while. 52 he fights. He has. He, he challenged for the title. He fought John Jones. 52 fights is nothing to laugh at in an MMA career. It, it- and that was one of those controversial fights where um, he'd actually said that if his um, corner ever threw in the towel, he would fire them. But when it's like, I'm sorry, when your guy is saying my teeth is falling out, I, I would I would never if if I were to go into fighting, I would never fire a, a coach for because it's like the coach knows what's best for you and if you're uh-huh. saying your teeth is falling out then you need to end it right i'm sure if the ref had heard that then he would have he would have but yeah that was that was another fight um and uh uh yeah it looks like this was the um his uh ankle yeah his ankle was broken or something like that yeah I think right. Yeah, uh, An 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 is um uh, like part of the Dagestani wave. Uh huh. Yeah, Khabib started it, and there's just been this wave of you know Dagestani fighters who were cross trained in uh, wrestling and sambo, and are are making waves primarily in the UFC, but I think some of them are also in Bellator and. Uh, um pfl right okay so we've got a men's i think is this flyweight flyweight yep and this one was big because you know i'm um the the buffalo wild wings i watched it from is in hanford alex perez was born in hanford oh and he still fights out of lamore <laughs> oh so he's he was the hometown boy, so there were a lot of people aware of that, and they were like, yeah! And when he gets knocked out, they're like, boo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, that was not... Wow. Minute 30 in the first round. Yeah, I yeah guess it was a was... submission. It was a solid one. He, he tapped out, so... Oh, Derek Lewis. Versus Sergey Pavlovich. Yep, Derek Lewis, the so, Black Beast. So anything, anything big going on in this fight, Matthew? Um, it's one of those things where Lewis is trying to, you know, remain relevant. Maybe try mm-hmm. to get back to a title fight, and 
Um, Pavlovich is uh, is an up and comer. I mean, you just look at their records. Um, let's see, what's Pavlovich's? Go back Pavlovich up. Pavlovich was fifteen and one. Yep. Three and one in the UFC. So he's he, in terms of the UFC, he hasn't been in here that long. This is probably his most high-profile fight. Mm-hmm. But looks like uh, looks like Pavlovich uh, did do a number. This on, was uh, one of those fights where I think Dan Mergliata could probably have let it go a little bit longer. That you know, the thing with some referees, some of them are are criticized for being overly cautious. Others are criticized for, like, Steve Mazzagatti for not stepping in long enough, who have let fights go ridiculously long amounts of time. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've seen some fights. Dan Mergliata is one of those refs who's overly cautious, who a lot of people say he does a lot of early stoppages. Um, but to be fair, I could see where he thought Derek Lewis was done because – Pavlovich hit Lewis in such a way, and it looked like he was genuinely out, but then he bounced up right after he hit the ground. So if he was out, it was a flash knockout where he might have actually he might have been out for like a second. But it's it's one of those hard calls where it the guy looks like he's down and out for the count. You got to protect your fighter, and that's what Dan Mergliata did. So I can't completely blame him for being overly cautious on this one. It's like it, it looked like he was. It looked like Lewis was out, and he's been knocked out before. So I can't. Okay. I can't completely blame him. If I was in that same situation, I probably would have stopped the fight as well. It's a, It's one of those situations where it's, it's better to be overly cautious than you know. So then Not we have the enough. USC flyweight title fight. Uh interim title fight because um uh, um Yeah, Sehudo still around. Uh Sehudo might be coming back in because he's back in the test the USADA testing pool. But uh no, it's um why am I drawing a blank on the um champ the title holder thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Davis and Figure- Figueredo. Who was there, and he says that he's... Um, he'll be recovered enough. I forget what injury he got. Uh-huh. But he got, an, he got an injury in the last fight, which was against Moreno, which I think was a fight of the night. Mm. And might have been a contender. When did that did that happen earlier this year? Was that last year? I'm trying to remember. So Brandon Moreno sticks to his guns and gets a TKO in round three. So in the closing minute of the third round. So he is the interim champion right yeah and we get to see figueredo versus moreno four. Oh, this is the first quadrilogy title fight in ufc history 
So have there been quadrilogies before? Um, I don't know if there's been a quadrilogy in the UFC before. Well, just in general. Definitely not for the title. There's been trilogies. There's never been a quadrilogy. But outside of the UFC, have there been quadrilogies? There's been, like, cross-promotional quadrilogies. Like, Rampage and Silva um, fought four times. Twice in Pride, one in the UFC, and one in Bellator. So there's definitely been quadrilogies um, spanning multiple promotions, but there's never been a quadrilogy in the UFC. To my knowledge, I might be wrong. And lastly, the women's bantamweight title fight, Juliana Pena, the champion, versus Amanda Nunes, the challenger. Um, but Nunes coming in as the favorite. And uh, she proved uh, she proved Vegas and, right. And the women's the featherweight and the women's featherweight champion. Yep. So back to being a two-time champion, correct? Two division champion. Yep. And she's probably the first fighter to do that twice now. Yeah, she she would be the only um, fighter to reclaim that mantle because. Connor didn't even defend his title. Cejudo vacated the flyweight title. DC. Cormier vacated the um light heavyweight. The light heavyweight title because he he he's it's how can I put this? Um, it's not going to be diplomatic. It's nothing against Cormier, but he he likes to eat. Let's let's just put it that way. Well, I think a lot of people like to eat. And uh, let's see who the last one. I'd like to say there's been five champ champs. Huh. Let's see. Um, McGregor. In no particular order. McGregor, Nunez, Cormier, Cejudo. Who's number five? There might not be a number five. I'm trying to think. So yeah, she's she's the only only person to reclaim that champ champ moniker. So because everyone else they claimed it and essentially they tra- what they did essentially did was train one title for another. So right. Okay, well, so that's UFC 277. And then, Matthew, what do we have coming up for the next uh, UFC event? Uh, UFC on ESPN uh, 40 next weekend. But the more um, important thing is uh, the first round of the Professional Fighters League playoffs. So let's see. Yeah, I think this is the next event. Santos versus Hill. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's just uh, the uh, UFC on ESPNs are essentially fight nights under another name. So yeah, you have the the up and comer. Oh, this is the the Ultimate Fire finale. Ah. Okay. So, yeah, because that's another thing that was relevant with the uh, with. Um, the Pena versus uh, Nunez fight was that they were coaches on the Ultimate Fighter. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Oh, and of note is um, 
uh, Pena's team is guaranteed a uh, uh, one of the winners of the Ultimate Fire this year. Because both of, uh, I think it's both of our heavyweights. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas um, uh, the women, they're they're, they're um, it's gonna it's one one team Pena, one team Nunez. Okay, and then obviously this is what you were mentioning the PFL. Uh, yep. Let's see. Where is uh, August? Like August. Yeah, August fifth. That's that's going to be the first one. The lightweight and light heavyweights in the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden. All right. Well, that'll be that'll be some interesting events that are going to happen. So, I'm sure you're going to fill us in a lot more when we come back next week for that, right? Uh, yeah. Which, uh, just like this week, we might have to do it a little delayed, considering I'll be in Vegas this uh, this weekend. Well, good for you. All right, Matthew. Well, that concludes our UFC talk uh, for today. So let's get right into sumo then see how things went so i think overall and um there was just so we had a surprise winner uh first time winner ichinojo who was called by some the gentle giant in sumo and um so it was a lot that happened i think we might have talked about the first day action going on uh when we made our last uh when we made our last episode, but I think you we, should mention all the chaos that happened. Yes, I am going to get into the chaos, but uh, basically Ichinojo, who is uh, from Mongolia and uh, he's been in the top division of sumo for quite some time, finally got his first Makuchi top division U show. Now, yes, Mongolians first, are just rain- the Mongolians are just raining right now, aren't they? Well, you know, I mean, kind of in recent years, there was actually, I think, 2020, the Japanese actually won more titles. And actually, right now, I think it's tied because Terunofuji has a Yusho this year. Ichinojo has won a Yusho. He had Wakataka Kage and Mitake Umi both win Yusho. So it's 2-2 now for Japan versus Mongolia in terms of of that. Now... I still, I still, I, I still, cons- for all intents and purposes, consider this the era of the Mongolians. Well, yes, I mean, you could say so. I mean, Tedano Fuji. Because you, you had Asa Shoryu, then you had Hakuho, now you've got Tedano Fuji. Well, and you can't forget Harama Fuji and Kakuryu were also Mongolian Yokozuna. And they actually held their own pretty well, too. Harama Fuji won nine Yu show, Kakuryu won six. So it's not like, you know, they were not, uh, they weren't um, competitive. I mean, obviously, if you have to, you know. Competent. No, it's competitive like- because, you know, they had to deal with Hakuho. They were the guys that had to kind of deal with Hakuho every now and then. Um, like, to me, it's just so amazing how Hakuho outlasted how many Yokozuna? He outlasted Harama Fuji, Kakuryu, and Kisen Osato. So he outlasted yeah, so, 
Yeah, so and and they all they all reached after he made it. Right, and they all retired before he did. Yeah, so the the fact that he went as long as he did is just Oh, there's never amazing. gonna be another one like Hakuhol. No doubt in my mind. There's never gonna be another one as dominant and as long tenure. As yes, as long lasting. I mean he he really pulled out a lot of stops in terms of being able to last as long as and he went out on top. His last usual was essential. Yes, it was. I think that that even carries more testament to you know his him being the goat of sumo. Sumo. Uh, so anyway, just to get back into the Nagoya tournament, so Ichinojo and Tenonofuji were both eleven and three going into the last day. So that's at least on the competitive side of the chaos that was going on because. Right now, there is no, you know, there is no real dominant wrestler. You do have Tenno Fuji, who is the Yokozuna, but he is injury prone because of, you know, what happened early on in his, in his career. Now, obviously, the, the comeback from him, you know, having fallen down to the fifth division and then coming back, reclaiming his Ozeki rank, but then on top of that, getting promoted to Yokozuna. That in, alone is a testament in and of itself. But he is the dominant wrestler right now, but there's no one else that's really dominant. You've got the... All the Ozeki right now are inconsistent. Uh, Shodai, uh, Takakesho, and Mitaki Umi. You know, they're all I inconsistent. They're all injury I seriously doubt, unless Teru no Fuji retires, I seriously doubt any of the Ozeki right now are going to be Yokozuna. I think whoever's going to be the, one, the next Yokozuna is someone other than the coming up. So Takakesho is considered to be the one closest to possibly getting there, but you know him being a one-trick pony doesn't really help because he's he's only got the Oshi and Tsuki. You know he does a a try to get under and push the guy away type of thing. Yeah, you need, to be, you need to have a more diverse um, uh, move set. Well, it really helps. It really does help that. So, anyway, it was a bit chaotic because on day 13, you know, Ichinojo, Tenno Fuji, they were 11-2. Takakesha was 10-3. You go into day 14, all three of them lose. So that really created a bunch of chaos going on into there. So then you added, we had a chance of looking at a playoff. Uh, you know, and a possible three-way playoff, which hadn't happened in since who knows when, I think the 90s. So there hadn't been a three-way playoff in the top division in quite a while, obviously. But it was Ichinojo who managed to keep the trickster Uda away from trying to pull any tricks. And he was forced him out on a Yori Taoshi. Uh, but then it was the, the last match which was going to determine, you know, were we going to go into a playoff or were we going to have Ichinojo claiming his Yusho. So Ichinojo was sitting in the back. He's at 12-3. and three. He's waiting to see. So he had essentially eliminated Takakesho from the playoff. So... Tenno Fuji had to win in order to get into the playoff, but Tenno Fuji got caught up in Takakesho's game, which I thought was a bit, you know, unusual. They got the, 
I mean, I have to say this is probably my favorite rivalry is the Tenno Fujitaka Kesho because there's been a lot of Yusho, when whenever they fought, there's been Yusho implications. But somehow Takakesho was able to get the better of Tenno Fuji this time, you know, and settled for the Jun Yusho. And uh, it went Ichinojo's way. Now, I'm going to throw this one out because um, there is a there is a YouTuber and he's bigger than us. And, you know. Well, most people props, are bigger than us right now. Most people, are, most people are bigger than my channel. And I've got like 166 followers. But I got to call him out for this. And, um, you know, because he, he lives in Japan, but he, he, I don't know what work he does, but, you know, he does go out, he does get a lot of, he gets footage from inside the arenas, and he gets a lot of intimate uh, close-ups, and then he talks to the, he, whenever he has the chance, he talks to the wrestlers. Sometimes, though, I don't like his style of throwing out either conspiracy theories or trying to throw a narrative out there that people have a way of thinking when they weren't. So, um, and his name is uh, Chris Gold, or Chris Sumo, as he's called. I thought it was disingenuous of him to suggest that the crowd did not want to see a playoff. And it almost seemed to me like he was thinking that maybe Tedano Fuji threw that match for his, you know, his friend Ichinojo, because apparently they, they went to high school together in Japan and they came on the same airplane when, you know, they came from Mongolia. So I got to, you know, throw that at him, be like, what are you doing? You know, the fans want to see a playoff. What are you talking about? Um, so... This guy sounds like he likes to drum up um, oh, he, drama he he for the sake of let's let's face it for the sake of the views. Yeah, and you know what? That's his style. And uh, you know he's got a lot of got a lot of subscribers. I'm not gonna take that away from him. I just think it's disingenuous to suggest that the fans wanted to go home early and they did not want to see a playoff. So that's my gripe on that whole spiel. Anyway. The fans always want to see a playoff. Uh-huh. The fans want to see the playoff. They'll go home after the 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 Meiji Cup is given out. They'll start go they'll go home after once the like how many cups do they get? They hand out a lot. Well, you got the Emperor's Cup, you've got the Prime Minister's Cup, and then you got all these other things that are handed out. Like, it's probably after the Prime Minister's Cup. They'll leave after the Prime Minister's Cup. It's like they don't want to stick around for the 20 different cups after that. That's when they'll leave. So, but anyway, so I think congratulations to Ichinojo for finally getting that Yusho. It took him 48 tournaments, 48 Basho, to finally get that cup. And that put him on the ninth slowest pace to get a Yusho. In the in the at top, least he got a, at least he got a show. Let's face it, you know most well, of came. the most of the um the what's it called most of the Rikishi and Makuuchi don't win a show. Well, that is an exclusive club. He, he came close 
on a couple of occasions. Like in his Makuchi debut, he went 13 and two, and he almost won it. But who who stayed ahead of him? One one on the pace, Hakuho, right? So Hakuho wins the U show, and Ichinojo had that chance. And then there was a there was a Basho a few years back. Ichinojo finished 14 and one. He finished 14 and one. But who stayed one ahead of him and won with a 15 and 0? Hakuho. So Hakuho thwarted Ichinojo on a couple of occasions, but this time, and um, you know Ichinojo, I mean he defeated Terunofuji. He defeated all three of the Ozeki, and he defeated all the Sanyaku too. And you know Ichinojo has struggled with uh, health problems at the times. You know he weighs he's two hundred and twenty some odd kilos, so he's a big dude. You know five hundred over five hundred pounds, and he's the fifth Rikishi. Yeah, like over- yeah, like roll roll the thing down just to show the. Yeah, I mean. That's a big guy, and uh, he's the fifth Rikishi, uh, over 200 kilos to win the to win the Makuuchi Yu Show. Uh, ono Kuni, uh, who was the I think the he- he was the heaviest Yokozuna to date. I think until Akebono uh, took that. Akebono, Akebono set so many records. Yeah, Akebono set some records, and he he was he was the heaviest Yokozuna. Um, I think, and then you got Musashimaru, who was also, he got big, and then, uh, obviously, Konishiki. Konishiki is the record holder. Is the heaviest, the heaviest Rikishi to win a U show, obviously. Wasn't he the heaviest when we went over there? Because he was, he was a little bit light. So. Than, he was, he was not at his, his peak weight when he won the, the Basho. Right. His his peak weight was when during his twilight years of his career. He was a lot more agile, a lot more um, movable as an Ozeki uh, when he was uh, when he was a little bit lighter than he was because he he was like 285 kilos when when we when we were seeing. I forgot. Was was he about to fall to Jurio when he retired? Yes, he was. Okay, so he he was able to maintain his his Makuuchi right. status by retiring when he did. Right. <clears throat> so yeah, but yeah, Ichinojo, um, you know, another 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 guy in there. So you know, good for him to finally get that. How old is Ichinojo? Ichinojo, I think, is in his late 20s, or I think he just turned 30. But, What's the likelihood that he could... Uh, well, actually, he, he gave a, he gave a post postpartial interview. He said he wants to gun for Ozeki again. You know, he's, he's been considered a guy who could make it, but it's just he's inconsistent when he gets into the Sanyaku ranks. You know, he just can't get... Get, can't get that momentum going for making that ultimate drive. So, hey, maybe this U-Show lights up a fire in him to finally do that. 
You know, something that I think I've mentioned, you know, um, uh, uh, I forgot. What's, who's Asha Shoryu's nephew? Ho Shoryu. Ho Shoryu. You know, I still can't believe that in looking everywhere online, I couldn't find out which which brother of Asa Shoryu's he's the uh, son of. Yeah, because I think Asa Shoryu has quite a few brothers. Yeah, and he's got two high-profile ones that went into MMA and pro wrestling. So you would think that they'd be able to list it. Well, maybe maybe Ho Shoryu's dad wasn't as... Maybe he wasn't out there like his other uncles. He, 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 it's possible that he was just... He came straight from Mongolia and did it because of Asa Shoryu? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. He wanted, uh, whole show you wanted to get in there because of Uncle Asa showed you. So, well, he's definitely a lot more respectful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then again, uh, then again, well, was Asa showed you causing problems before he hit Yokozuna, or did Yokozuna is what it seemed Yokozuna to me that caused- once he got into Yokozuna, I mean, well, he was already, you know. He was a pretty aggressive guy, but you know, it's that's what got him there. I mean, personally, I liked I liked watching Asa Shoryu. He was a very talented wrestler. Oh, I agree. He was very talented, I, but... and he was very strong. He would give off Chiono Fuji vibes. I mean, that yeah, was the, I... I remember. I remember one time he got behind. He was able to during the match. He was in a belt battle with someone. And then he somehow got behind the guy, and then he just picked him up and threw him to the ground. And I think the move was called an a, a an okuri tsuri otoshi or something like that. He would use some rare moves, you know, even as a yokozuna. You know, yokozuna. You know, I think the stereotype is typically they'll use a lot of belt stuff, so it's typically like yorikiri or uate. You know, uate or state, you know, a nage throw move and stuff like that. But he would, he would get some rare ones out there. So he Same would do Haku. stuff that you'd you'd probably see more like in freestyle or Greco. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I think if his if his well, wasn't he a talented Mongolian um, sumo? Uh. I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. Like, that's definitely where he cut his teeth. That's where he got the skills. Right. I think so. It's been a while since I've looked up Asa Shoryu. Um, in fact, let me let me look. Uh, I, got a, I got a window open. Let's see. Asa Shoryu. I think just, you know, his conduct, and it was conduct both on and off the dojo. I, I think if, you know. If, well, it's if, like we said, if he hadn't retired when he did, it's possible Hakuho. Hakuho would not have gotten a 45U show. Yes, that is the cons- that is easily the consensus, I think, with a lot of people. Because they would have been going back and forth because Hakuho was up and coming towards the end of Asa Shoryu. And and you're right. Um, Asa Shoryu does have a Mongolian wrestling pedigree, and and he he was uh, 
So he did Mongolian wrestling and he also did judo. Oh, that probably helped as well. Yeah. Because if you're a judoka, you've got skills that, right? you know, the average sumo nikishi does not. But, you know, I think Hall showed you, um, I think one of the problems he was having early on is that he was a little bit too light. So he did put on a little weight. So he's he's been more successful. I mean, he's had three consecutive kachikoshi tournaments since being at Komosubi. So that's nothing that's nothing to scorn really. I mean to be able to cuz the Komosubi and the Sekiwake normally aren't going to do well. And if you're doing good in the Sanyaku, that means that you're trending upwards towards getting to Ozeki. So the fact that he was able to do that that the fact that he's been able to, you know, hold three consecutive Kachikoshi in Komosubi, uh, you know, I think that that will probably hold well for him in the in the future too. I think so. Where has he? So actually, yeah, he's had he's had winning scores all of this year. So you know. I like to, you know, I said, uh, whole show to you is, is fun to watch too. And, and he kind of, he kind of tries to give off that, um, Asa Shoryu vibe. The Asa Shoryu vibe. But like you said, they, he's a little bit more toned down on the attitude that his uncle had. Well, I, you know, if, if he's, if he's smart, he would know that, okay, in order to succeed, this is what I need to do. My, you know, Uncle Asa showed you was had a bit of an attitude. I need to tone that down. I need yeah. to be more respectful. If I want to, if I want to do this and define myself on my own merits, I need to distance myself from that. Right. So, uh, with that being said, now, now the chaos I wanted to bring up was the fact that um, the real chaos of this Basho. Yeah. So, for the first time since the outbreak of the um, COVID-19 pandemic, the sumo had positive test results of, of COVID-19 wrestlers mid-basho. Up until, the, up until now, they had not had any mid-basho positive test results. It normally would be testing would happen before the Basho, and if those positive test results came up, usually they would have the whole uh, the whole Heya sit out, and normally those ranks have been protected because it was something that was not of their own doing, nothing because of injury. So what ended up happening this time? So they had a... One Heya, all of a sudden, had a positive test result. Oh, we're gonna withdraw the whole Heya from the from the Basho, and then all of us, and then after that, you, it, it's a it's a snowball effect, and you had what ended up happening is you had a hundred up to one hundred and seventy wrestlers out of the six hundred and some odd wrestlers. So, 
close to a third of the wrestlers end up having to withdraw. Some of them are pulled, you know, at the beginning of the first week. Some of them are pulled right up to day 15. And what would it, what what they had declared in the past was that if there was a an infection or a positive result mid basho they would cancel the tournament. But obviously they didn't do that, and they kept going. And so one of the criticisms I know that's always thrown out there of the JSA is that they're inconsistent about rulings and stuff. And I'm curious to see what they're going to do this time around because I think one of the things that should have happened, it, it's really unfair to have a whole Haya have to sit out if you've got one positive test, especially if those people who were in close contact ended up testing negative on their results. And that's why I want to bring up this other another person because so i don't know if you know matthew tamawashi he's the current iron man of sumo up until day 13 of this basho he had not missed a match in his entire career so 1448 matches which puts him well in i think in the top five of consecutive matches wrestled that was interrupted not because of injury, but because of this stupid, you know, thing that they had going on. And I was ready to really, you know, I was ready to make a a, a post-Basho, like, rant against GSA until apparently they are saying, they are saying that they are going to allow the, the match streak of Tomoashi continue. And there's a couple other guys that have never missed matches in their careers, too. And the same thing happened to them. I think there was a wrestler that had like a thousand plus matches going. So he'll be allowed to continue his streak as well. So it looks like it says 158 wrestlers uh, ended up withdrawing, including 13 Seki Tori. But, you know, I think it was a cry and shame that um oh this was this was on day 13 so i think the total ended up being 170 so but 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 of course keep it uh, we need to keep in mind that most of the um most of the the rikishi affected were not in jurio or maku uchi right they're all down in in the lower ranks which to be fair they've got because of how bloated those ranks are, um, a few guys missing wouldn't have affected them, the the Basho in those divisions in here's, the long scale. Here's the other gripe I have against them for just trying to finish it out, especially making people withdraw. There were a few people in the Yusho race that because there was an infection at their Heia, were forced to withdraw. So the Yusho race could have gone in a completely different path if those people weren't forced to withdraw from the tournament. So I'm hoping that they can come up with a solution 
to these, you know, what happens here going forward. Because especially, you know, when you have someone like Tomawashi who's put in a lot of work and he's been able to stay relatively healthy and injury-free, I think it's really unfair to have something like that, you know. Obviously, I'm happy that they're going to allow this to continue, but, you know, there'll be people who say that, well, there needs to be an asterisk next to the record because he technically did not compete in some matches. So that's the gripe I have in relation to that. Well, it's like anything, unfortunately, is that when you've got a a bureaucracy, let's let's face it, the 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 um JSW is a yes. bureaucracy. Yeah. Anytime you have a bureaucracy like that, there's gonna be there's just gonna be stuff that just would not normally make sense and that, you know, other people would not make the decisions on. But especially when you're dealing with sumo, who are these um you know, it's like they're these old school guys. They have this old school mentality of, oh, we need to do it a specific way. Tradition, 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 blah, 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 blah. Um, stuff is going to happen that just is not um, – that not everyone is kosher with. So, yeah, that's just, it's just, that's just how things are, are going to go. So, yeah, so now, now the – debacle that's going to ensue is the fact that a lot of these guys end up getting pulled mid tournaments. Now, in the past, the ranks have been protected. What are you going to do about these guys who ended up competing? Now, for some of them, they were competing and they already had losing records before they had to withdraw. Some of them had winning records. Now, I'm thinking... But the guys who had the winning records, I think they deserve to be promoted. They should not be frozen in those ranks. On the other side of the guys who ended up having losing records before they were withdrawn, I think there needs to be some kind of compromise to the fact that, hey, they competed and they went out and they got losing records. So they probably should drop, just not to the extent of, if you had, like, for example, there was a guy who I think was like 2-9, and nine, before he withdrew, he obviously should not have a record that's equivalent to two and thirteen. So he probably, in my mind, he probably should have a record that's equivalent to like either five and ten or six and nine, because you don't know what his final record would have been. Well, we're just gonna have to wait and see what the decisions are on the the yeah. Banzuke, Unfortunately, you know. Well, that's why that's why a lot of people on Sumo Forum they are not looking forward to playing Guess the Banzuke, which is a real game. So I am at, I I encourage all my all our viewers to go. You know, if you want to really try to test your <laughs> test your predictions. The, you know the the um the um play guess the banzuke. The the sumo kyokai is gonna have to make a decision on how to do things. You know, with the people, you know, taking into consideration the people who finished the basho and the people who were doing well, the people who weren't doing well. They're gonna have to make a decision because there's only so much room 
in the higher ranks. Mm-hmm. So you got to make a decision. Yeah, you do. It's like things may have been maintained in the past, but it's like, you know what? It's like you made this, you made decisions, a lot of controversial decisions based off of stuff you did with this Basho. So yeah, so they have to deal with those consequences. They bear, they dug their grave. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Who knows? Who knows? But we'll we'll see. Anyway. So that concludes that. Um, and then I just want to talk about um, my experience. So um, there is a. I need a. So anyway, um, I saw that the the uh, the return of the U.S. Open for sumo is coming, and it'll be at the uh, it'll be a Long Beach State. So I'm gonna try and compete in it. And I reached out to. Um, I reached out to someone at uh, USA Sumo, so um, I was allowed to go to the uh, to a, uh, a practice uh, this last Sunday. And uh, Yamamoto Yama, who is a former uh, Makuchi wrestler, was there too, and so I got to speak Japanese with him and and stuff. So it was a really cool experience. And then getting to just get onto this, um, you know, dojo and wrestle with some people was really fun. I'm quite a bit sore from the experience, but so that's why it's a matter of getting back into shape and stuff. So I'm really excited to see what I could possibly do uh, out at this U.S. Open, the Sumo U.S. Open. You know, you've made me genuinely curious, and I'm not going to be able to do it this year, but, you know, make me wonder, huh, could I maybe try to do it in the future? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, especially, you know, if it's if it's staying in SoCal, you know, because they have like a, so that's my understanding was it's traditionally always been in Long Beach. I have known about the U.S. Open before. Uh-huh. You know, if you're you know, if you're involved in combat sports in Southern California, you know about most of what happens in Southern California. Yeah. So I knew about the U.S. Sumo Open. It's always been at the Long Beach Pyramid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I doubt they're gonna year, move it because here's another thing: most people who do sumo are on the West Coast. Right. Well, recently I've heard about there's a Dallas club, so there is that. But anyway, so yeah, uh, you know, it was really fun. I got to meet you know new people and stuff like that. So, and uh, you know, they'll be holding practices again in a few weeks. So, um wanting to get back into that again. And uh, I think it'll be nice because I'll get to do that. And then right after that, we'll get into the college college wrestling season. So, you know, back to uh, helping volunteering and coaching and things like that. So a lot of stuff coming up. And uh, I want to see how I'll do. Uh, you know, I think if, if, I can, if I can get one win at the U.S. Open for sumo, I'll be happy. And... Um, I have to see about you know if I'm gonna end or end up in the light heavyweight uh, or the middleweight you know because the middleweight is 185 pounds I don't think that with all the you know time management and stuff going on and work I don't think it's gonna be feasible to get down there this year for the middleweight so 
you know, I think I'll probably just go light heavyweight. But if you compete, you know, in the in the one of the weight classes, then then you can also do the open weight. So I'll have a couple of opportunities to see how things go. I think it'll be fun. <laughs> you know, something interesting. I was actually I actually looked up the Sumo World Championships uh-huh. and um the uh nation that has the most amateur championships outside of Japan is actually Russia. Oh, that's interesting. I've, and Mongolia is not far behind either. So I've heard recently that um, I guess, well, because I was listening to conversation that was going on. I guess um, uh, I guess Egypt has been up and coming lately, which is I I, I saw them up there as well yeah they've been up and coming apparently so that's that's something well didn't egypt have a top um uh a guy who made it in the makuchi a while back yeah he did osana arashi yeah yeah he was there for a while and then i remember i think he tried to do um i think he tried to do mma yeah he did he had that fight with bob sap and then I think it really went poorly. Um, well, I don't know if he fought after that fight. Because I think... Because he, he got signed to Ryzen. And then I think Ryzen cut him because of how bad he did. And then and then the, the guy who runs Ryzen, the president, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to sign any more sumo wrestlers. Actually, I actually read about that. So, didn't he, didn't he sign Baruto? Yeah, he did sign Baruto. Baruto, I think, fought once. Yep. Uh, well, I don't know if he fought solely in Ryzen, but he actually had a winning record. Yeah. Which is atypical for Sumo Nikishi. Sumo Nikishi typically don't do well in in MMA because it just doesn't translate. Well, yeah, because sumo is a lot of, it's not a, it's not a cardio type sport. It's very, um. Well, that, that, and the emphasis isn't on, um, uh, isn't on, uh, fighting. Right. The emphasis isn't on trying to beat each other up. The emphasis is trying to force each other out of a ring. That's very different from an MMA fight where your goal is to punch him into submission or knock him out or, or right. submit him. Yeah. So I'll let you know how things are going, updates on this. And um, um, Of note, uh, um, West Hills is pretty close to establishing an actual club. So... Um, you know, I'm going to look at um, hitting the mat as well. Yep. I found a club, too, so I'm trying to get back into it. And I think, yeah, it's a matter of, I think. Oh, you found an actual club? Yeah, nearby? I did. Yep. Well, you were, weren't you wrestling with one of the Ariello brothers? Yeah, I, yeah, Jason. I've been going to his uh, practices. Oh, but you did you find an actual more established club? 
No, just been going to him. Okay. All right, so Matthew, let's wrap this one up with our final topic of the uh, of the day. One Piece is back. One Piece is back in circulation. Oda has graced us with his presence. And uh, I think the last time before he went on break, he gave us Luffy's bounty, which went up to $3 billion, I think. And, and his th- elevation to a... Law, uh, law, and, law and Kid also are $3 billion. But yeah, the big thing was was that um, Luffy is now an emperor of the sea. He is a Yonko, and then the other one was, you know, Buggy is also an emperor of the sea. So, which, as we talked about, that's solely about influence. Buggy was able to build this reputation and empire, and to the point where he was able to be considered an emperor, whereas Duffy, it's a combination of things, partially well, because of the, the straw hat Grand right. Fleet, but Duffy's actually earned it. Right. Like all the things that he's done over the course of the series. So, uh, real quick, we'll get into chapter 1054, which was last week, and then Chapter 1055, which was this week. So, I think the big confrontation that we've been seeing in both these chapters is the fact that Admiral Lokugyu, a.k.a. Green Bull, has come to Wano. And, took, uh, out the, took out the, the remnants of the, um, of, of the... Of the Beast Pirates. But then... There are, we got the the samurai of Wano are trying to stand up to him because they are determined to not let Luffy get captured by Dokugyu. So, but also the fact that they felt they need, in order to prove themselves, um, Momonosuke in particular, they needed to prove themselves that they would need be able to protect the country by themselves. Right. So you've got that, and... Um, uh, during that, one of the things that we found was that I think, yeah, he's got this the thing called the Mori Mori no Mi, so he is a Logia user, and I think there was what people thought was a joke was the fact that he when when he had seen Fujitora uh, the one time, and he said that he hadn't eaten in three years. Well, the reason why is because he can suck the nutrients out of either things or people. Uh, which seems kind of similar to um, uh, Charlotte Smoothie and her being able to suck the juices out of, out of people, you know, so that she can, like, have a drink or something like that. So kind of a weird one. But one thing we did notice was that Okugyu is... Um, Playing into Oda's M.O. of portraying the, you know, the admirals in one piece is that he is modeled after a, a famous, you know, old school Japanese actor or based on his, um, you know, based on a character that that actor might have played. And so in the case of uh, Lokugyu, 
And uh, so his actual, Rokugyu's actual name is Aramaki. And uh, I think that is actually a, uh, connected to his, uh, his inspiration. So if I'm looking at it, so his, so I'm looking at the One Piece uh, Wikipedia right now. And uh, Rokugyu is based on the late Japanese actor Yoshio Harada. And Harada portrayed a character named Aramaki in the film Ronin Gai, which also starred Kunie Tanaka and Shintaro Katsu, on whom the admirals Kizaru and Fujitora are also based on. So, again, you know, got to give it to Oda how he likes to, you know, that's the, that's the thing that's really interesting about Oda is how he throws real-world influences into the series. I think that's one of the things I find endearing uh, about One Piece is how, you know, he's able to kind of throw these little tidbits in there. from time. To time. And it makes it more relatable. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the things also is we were finding is that, so in chapter 1054, the red-haired pirates are, have come Parked to Wano. Parked outside Wano. And so it's like, well, what's going to happen in chapter 1055, which we'll get to in a moment. But I think the big thing that we, that, that brought out a lot of answers was the fate of Sabo after he had been at the Reverie. And we're finding that, so the newspapers were, you know, the, the story that the newspapers were running, which had shocked a lot of people, especially the Revolutionary Army, you know, they're trying to, if you remember, Dragon was trying to tell all his people to call, you know, the other revolutionaries that were based around the world to confirm the, res to, to confirm the reports that the, um, that the, uh, I think it's called the World Economic Journal or, or whatever um, from the bird guy, Big the news bird guy Morgan. running it. And so what has happened, apparently, and, you know, the newspapers are running with that Sabo assassinated Nefertari Cobra. I'm going to make a prediction, and I, I'm going to make a prediction. I think there's a false flag attack. The world got, he, Cobra was always a problem. He was sympathetic to, uh, it, he was secretly sympathetic to Luffy. He was always a, a uh, a benevolent leader it's like he he has it's co uh, like and you it's you know, sabo had no reason to assassinate him it may look like it but he had no reason to assassinate him i think this is a false flag attack world government sent a cp well, agent in secret and then and posed as a revolutionary and and killed um cobra I, I think this is a false flag attack. Another thing about that is, you know, the Gorose, you know, who who are um, they, they the leaders are, of the world government. Well, not only are they the leaders of the world government, but they're also celestial dragons. And Cobra had asked for an audience with them because he wanted to know things about the Void Century, or he had some questions. And so it would seem like if Cobra truly is dead, that he dug a little too deep into the rabbit hole 
for the yeah. For all we know, for all we know, one of the guys in that meeting basically pulled out a weapon and said, "You're you're you're yeah. sorry. You got to be offed." Right. So the Gorose, you know, were obviously. I mean, they if 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 like you said, if you're correct that it was a false flag operation, then it definitely came from the Gorose, who are the who are technically the supreme authority in the One Piece world. But, you know, so what's going to happen? And then the other thing is that Vivi has disappeared. So what's going to become of that? And could it be that Sabo either, well, kidnapped her, but maybe saved her from getting assassinated herself? Yeah, I think what, so here's what probably happened. Like, like I said, I think it was a false flag attack. I think that they, they, the, that the world government had Cobra assassinated and then claimed that it was, it was Sabo. Sabo, and, but then they were, but then, oh, uh, one thing to remember, um, Im was looking at the posters right. of, what was it, Blackbeard? Blackbeard, Vivi. I think he had Shirahoshi in there too. Yeah, he did. And then Luffy. So I, I'm pretty sure he wanted um, just from the way that they they put it, he probably wanted ordered that Vivi got offed. Right. But in order to do that, they needed to do other things as well. So they probably were going to try to kill both Cobra and Vivi and claim that it was an assassination by the Revolutionary Army. But try to turn the tides. Right, but things went south. The revolutionaries saved Vivi knowing that oh, Sabo especially because he's like, oh, she's aligned with you know, my sworn brother so I need to save her. Right, right. So, but here's here's kind of the, the 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 ironic thing, you know, that possibly backfired on the world government if they were trying to turn public opinion against Sabo and the Revolutionary Army. Is you can see in some of these panels in the chapter that they're celebrating Sabo, you know, and he's almost as famous as Luffy because of the actions he took, and that's probably because some of these countries have been uh, liberated by the Revolutionary Army. And, you know, did Sabo have a have a hate for all the, uh, you know, for all the 20 families? Because they probably know that the Nefertari family was one of the 20 families, but they're the only one to not go to Marie-Joie you know, to become celestial dragons. So they are considered lower kin by the celestials. But, you know, so it's kind of interesting. What What is the perspective of Sabo versus the perspective of, you know, what other people think about it? Well, another thing that was revealed was that um, they, uh, the whole point of the revolutionaries in Marijuana was to save Bartholomew Kuma, mm-hmm. which they did. Right. So now the interesting thing, 
you know, the interesting thing is, so he's been completely, you know, transformed. He's a cyborg under the control of the world government. So how are they, what are they, how will they be able to get through to him, if at all? Yeah, like how how did they get him away? Because they certainly don't have Vegapunk, because Vegapunk is protected by the world government and the Marines. It's not like because my my thought is that Vegapunk is probably the only one who holds the key to if if Bartholomew Kuma's condition is reversible, only Vegapunk would have the key to unlocking, you know, the reversal process. If it's possible. That would be my opinion on that. So, and then obviously, Shanks at the end of 1054 decides it's time for him to go after the One Piece. You know, because he's telling Ben Beckman that. So... It would make sense considering that Ben Beckman is his uh hand man. Exactly. And they've they've probably spent the most time together. So if we get into chapter 1055, so the battle between the Akazaya and Momonosuke is, you know, uh, them fighting Green Bull is continuing and Green Bull does seem to have the upper hand with his you know, devil fruit powers. And, uh, but then on the flip side of, of the conversations that are going on, you know, Kozuki Sukiyaki, who, you know, had thought to have been dead, you know, he came up in, in the 1053 and he's been talking with Robin and stuff, but now they're going deeper into Wano and they're taking Law with them too. So Law's finding out more about, you know, the history of what's been going on. And as it turns out, there is an, an older Wano. The Wano of right now is a newer Wano, and the Wano of old is from 800 years ago, which means that this thing probably existed. This, this, this Wano that's underwater would have existed during the Void Century. And Sukiyaki cryptically points out that to tear down the walls of Wano or opening up the country, which is what Odin was trying to do, would release Pluton. And as Matthew, I think uh, you you can probably explain it better than I can about you know the significance of Pluton, right? Uh, well, yeah, Pluton is one of the three ancient weapons, and we know two of the three. One of them is Pluton. It's this ancient, I think they call it a ship. Right. But, right. you sure. know, the, um, you know, the ship, uh, the shipwrights of, uh, of, what's, what, what was the, um, galley company? Galila, yeah. Yeah, the, the, those shipwrights were passed down the blueprints to Pluton, and Frankie was the last one to have gotten it from who? Who was Roger Shipwright? Ice, ice, iceberg. Yeah, from Iceberg, iceberg and he he torched those. Right. 
But he might still have those, being that he's a cyborg, he might have actually copied those in his head. Right. But um the so there's there's that one. Then Poseidon is the power of a mermaid to control the um I think the Sea Kings. The Sea Kings and the current incarnation of Poseidon is Shirahoshi. And then you've got um Neptune. Well Wait, no, Neptune? Uranus is the It was uh, Uranus. I'm getting I'm getting my uh my yeah, planet. Ne- Neptune up. is the king of the fish. Yeah. Then you've got Uranus, which is an unknown, which right. I still think was located on God Valley. Anyway, but yeah, either that or that, either that or it might be the one piece. Right. But it's confirmed that Pluton is in Wano. Which is why Kaido had been sitting there for you know the past twenty some odd years because he wanted to get Pluton, uh, but because he didn't have you know all of the access, he could not find it. But so the fact of the matter is that there's there's another there's a buried city, and that the current Wano somehow the walls were built up so that that's why Wano as we know it is above the ocean, you know, in this, you know, unusual type of landscape and all that. So where do they go from there, you know, and I think, and and then Robin has found the, 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 I think the road, red poneglyph. The road The road, poneglyph. yeah, the road poneglyph that she needs. So this, you know. Three down, one to go. Interesting times ahead. We need to find which one is, uh, which where the last one is. Yeah, where the last one is. Now, what's not to say that Blackbeard's not in control of it? Probably. I mean, because you had, you know. Now, one thing, this is kind of off topic, but I'm, I'm wondering what's going to happen with the Charlotte Pirates or the Big Mom Pirates now that Big Mom has been taken out. That'd be an interesting ride. Well, let's see. They're still in charge of uh, um, what? Totoland. Yeah, they're still in charge of Totoland. So I guess right now they kind of function similar to how the um, the Whitebeard pirates without Whitebeard function, which is that you know they're just holding on to territory though. And like I said, the only one that they have a confirmed hold on is is Totoland. So um, they're still they are still an entity. It's just a matter yeah. of how how powerful they are. Yeah. So um, to close out the chapter, um, it looks like Momonosuke ends up unlocking some powers of his own thanks to his dragon devil fruit. And one of the things he does is the um, in in English they're they're calling it the bolo breath, but it's basically that big fireball that Kaido unleashed. You know when he took out that castle that one time uh but momonosuke is able to use it too when he's fighting uh green bull although green bull still manages to you know hold his own and he sprouts up thanks to you know not being taken out entirely so he's ready to you know uh finish off momonosuke in the in the akazaya nine but, Matthew, what does he feel coming from the ocean? 
he feels conquers hockey. And uh, it's not it's not a it's not a normal conquers hockey, right? Nope. And the fact that he can feel it from so far away, like who knows how many miles? Right, how many miles away? And so who is it? It's red-haired Shanks. And um, so red-haired Shanks, like he always does, somehow will interrupt history in the making to some extent. You know, it, it, it's it's this weird thing about Shanks where he's able to influence history just by being in a certain place at a certain time, right? Yep. I mean, because if, if you think about it, you know, because when he appeared at Marineford, the fact that he prevented Kobe from being killed by Akainu and also Luffy from being killed off as well, that totally changed history. So, you know, what, you know, Shanks plays these really this really significant role here and there. Oh, and now, speaking of Sakazuki, I think it was in... was. Was I think it was in chapter uh, uh, ten fifty four, but you know Sakazuki was talking about all these things, and right. he's speaking with Kizaru, right? And I think some people have pointed this out, but basically the only positive relationship we have seen with anybody that almost resembles friendship. Is with when it, it comes to Sakazuki is Kizaru. Yeah, that's the only person who he has a somewhat positive relationship with. He didn't want Green Bull going to um, Wano, and he disobeyed him. And he's you know, and he he's like you know Fujitora. He's not on good terms with uh, um, Fujitora. Fujitora or, right uh, now because Fujitora let. Isho. Get away and then, you know, call them out on his his fragile uh, honor. So here's the thing I found. So uh, Green Bull has given up trying to take out Luffy. So that means that, hey, we're going on a new journey. Um, it also well, yeah, looks like. He, well, and it's funny because he it's when, you know, he could tell that he and Shanks were able to communicate, and he's like, I have no quarrel with you. Mm-hmm. And Shanks is like, leave, and I'll turn it off. Right. So that's how Greenbull gives up the fight there. Um, oh, yeah, also the fact that um, what people are referring to as the Monster Quartet were overseeing the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, so now instead of it being the Monster Trio... It looks like now we are the mon- it's the monster quartet now because Jimbe was ready about as ready to fight, you know, with Luffy, Sanji, and Zoro. So I think it's now the monster quartet now. But I think one thing that does seem to be confirmed, uh, not officially, but it does look like it's going to be confirmed that uh, you know Yamato I think is going to be looks like Yamato is going to be joining the crew. Uh, since Momonosuke wants her to go out with Luffy. And so this is looks like this is going to be a mirror action of Odin joining the Roger Pirates. I'm still hopeful that Carrot will join as the um, 
as the lookout because uh, I think one of the things I've seen in uh, you know these theory videos, what what would go for carrot is that uh, I think rabbits have good eyesight. I think. Yes, because they literally eat carrots all day. Right. So yeah, that would be you know the case for at least carrot to go out. And plus, she would be carrying on um, Pedro's will. And then I, I, I can understand now where Yamato, she would be carrying on Oden's will. And um, I guess, well, because Navi's a navigator, and, you know, I guess Oden, you know, because he kept his journal, so he was keeping logs. What would, what would that position be specifically that would be the log keeper right i'll have to see what the what the what the translation let's see if there's a uh, uh what google's translation for log keeper is and uh log keeper of course it just translates to logu kifa <laughs> Not not necessarily, not necessarily logu. Okay, so obviously that's not what that means. Anyway, so it does look like Yamato is is going to be joining because Momonosuke is telling her to go out with, you know, the straw hats and and she's free from her father Kaido. So I think that's where we're at. But you know. You know, that does go into, you know, Luffy's theme of, of freedom. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think all, all in all, though, you know, I think uh, Luffy, Zoro, Sanji, and, and Jinbei, they were ready to go if worse came to worse. So it's not like they were going to be completely caught off guard. And they probably were, uh, at least Sanji was ready to try and take out an admiral. So, I don't, I don't think that Lokugyu would have given them too much trouble, it seems. Yeah, the way that, the way that the admiral's powers work right now, I'm, I think... I'd like it. It depends on if who would be considered weaker, Kizaru or Nokugyu. But I would say the weakest of the three, as it stands right now, is probably Nokugyu. Yeah. Especially if he doesn't utilize. Um, well, it's you have to have hockey. Well, yeah, he does have hockey because all the am. To be an admiral, you have to have hockey. Yeah, but in most cases, I think they probably have armament. From what I've seen, I don't think any of them have. Uh... Let's see if maybe. Let's see. I haven't seen any evidence that any of them have anything more than armament. Uh, maybe so observation. He is confirmed to have Busoshoku and. So armament and observation. So he does have two. Armament and observation. Wait, Fuji. Oh, right, Fujitora, because he functions off of. 
Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Rokugyu right now. Oh. Well, Fujitora has to have observation because oh, that's he has both. Because I, I think, well, yeah, he's got to have observation just because of his condition. And yeah, he does have both. But he was he was using he was using armament um, during the the um, dress rosa. So yeah, he's he's all good with that. Um, and I know that I know we did see Kizaru using armament, and I mean he's got to have observation just because of his being able to 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 detect people so but i think i don't think any there are none of the um in fact who knows well i don't even know what admirals would have conquerors hockey from what i've seen i don't think any of them have conquerors Yeah, Haoshoku. Well, we're not even sure that... Um, wait, do we know if Garp has conquers? Okay, so... I'm looking at the... I'm looking at the thing right now. So... There is one... Confirmed Admiral who had Haoshoku. And that was Sengoku. So, he's actually still around... But he's he's no longer an admiral because you know he's a what is that inspector general or something like that now. Yeah. But he's still a marine, so. Um, but uh, he's he's kind of an observer in in the fight now. So. But everyone kind of like else. Garp. Is, I'm sorry. Kind of like Garp. Right. Yeah, Garp's kind of sitting back too. You know, he's a he's a trainer now. But yeah, in the case of Sengoku, he's you know just it's uh, kind of observing things, and you know he he's the uh, the guy who kind of provides some uh, you know some insight into the into the world of old. Uh, yep. So so yeah that's that's our one piece segment you know big stuff did we did on. we talk about how with um uh um uh kaido and big moms um being dropped that all of the rocks pirates have been dropped essentially well that's hard to say because they may or may not be out. Well, obviously, those three that went on to become the Yonko. But Golden Lion Shiki is still out there somewhere. And, you know, a couple of the other names that were mentioned. We don't know what specifically happened to them all, but at least those three, yes, they've been defeated. You know, I, but I, I... And one of them's confirmed dead. Yes. But we haven't seen the last of the Rocks Pirates. Not yet. And the name R Rocks D. Zebek really still carries 
a lot of weight. Well, if we want to be technical about it, I mean, there's part of Rock's legacy still around with Blackbeard. Uh-huh. But right now, it's, the legacy is essentially Roger. Because two of the three were directly from his crew, and one of them was inspired by his uh, crew member. So, and him directly, so... Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I'll, I'll be interested to see when when Oda actually brings Zebek out into the light. See how. Yeah, I, I think I think we're gonna see uh, one more flashback, and it's gonna be the Battle of God Valley. At least major flashbacks. Um. So now the now the question is, well, where which which island do they hit next? Also, kind of an interesting thing that um, which I which I have I do admit, you know, um, I might be wrong about Elbaf, but I personally don't think we'll see it. So one one interesting thing, because you know they got the new movie coming out, One Piece Red, and it's basically a Shanks central movie. Now here's the interesting thing. So apparently, in the movie setting. Shanks does have a daughter. However, because it's a movie, she is supposedly considered non-canonical. But, if you notice, now, I was kind of interested about this because, remember when Shanks was telling Greenbull, why are you so afraid of the future? And he was seeing these flashbacks with all these different people when they were younger, you know, in the first panel, you saw Luffy after he had cut himself with the knife and Shanks was trying to console him. And then you saw Momonosuke and Hiyori. And then I saw in the last panel on the left, there was this person, this figure that was kind of shadowed. And I'm thinking, obviously, that's kind of a hint from Oda about a specific figure, a certain character... Yeah, but, supposedly it's his daughter. Right, supposedly, at least according to the the One Piece wiki, that it's his daughter. Now, you know, obviously the, the wiki, but the wiki, though, is saying that she's not canonical. So, eh, we'll see. We'll see if, if be, you know, I mean, you know, Golden Lion Shiki became canonical because of, uh, you know, once Rocks D. Zebek and, and the and the Rocks Pirates came up, he became canonical. Although I think Chapter Zero already established him as a canonical character. Yeah, the what what is not canonical is the movie that the his interaction with uh, with the the Straw Hats. I think I think it was Strong World was the name of that. Yeah, his, yeah, his the present his present interaction in Strong World is is not canon. Okay, well, Matthew, I think we'll go up and wrap up for tonight. So, episode 21 of the Samurai Brothers. And uh, so, Matthew, where can our uh, viewers uh, see our uh, podcast and other related uh, content? 
Um, well, uh, we are on uh, our um, video. Our video format is on YouTube and Rumble. Our audio format is on what? Uh, and Odyssey. Um, we just got up on Odyssey. Uh, okay, yeah, Rumble, YouTube, and Odyssey, and our uh, audio format is on Acast, Spotify, Google, and Apple. And Matthew runs uh, his own uh, Twitter. You can find him at Matthew Salzer. Oh, yeah, we do have a Twitter. And uh, we also do have a Twitter, too, uh, at the Samurai Bros. So make sure that you follow us on there. And uh, so, yeah, that's always – so we're – we're open to people, you know, we want, we do want to get some people on here, some guests. We want to interview them uh, with, like, wrestling-related stuff or if uh, there's maybe an MMA fighter that would, like, come out there. And uh, we're also extending an invitation to Coach Alan Clinton from uh, Servite High School. Uh, we want to get you on the program because we want to um, see how you uh, brought up Servite uh, to be, you know, uh, the contender that it is. So we'd love to have you on there. So again, open invitation to coach Alan Clinton from Servite high school. And, uh, I think, uh, other things that are going on, Matthew, uh, uh, so Matthew does run MMA freak, which is a, uh, it is a, uh, publication site, uh, MMA dash freak.com. Uh, you can follow the Twitter at MMA freak out. And, uh, also, I will be trying to start up some uh, sumo-related uh, things and also some wrestling-related uh, content. So I uh, hope you'll be on the lookout for that. And uh, also invite you to come on to Sumo Forum and join the discussions about sumo on there. You can uh, find me at the user Wakatake. So I invite you to come out for that, too. So, Matthew, as always, uh, thank you for your insight. Um, Oh yeah. Also, my I have my own YouTube channel, which is uh, just Matthew Salzer. Yep. So he does a lot of uh, he'll do some product reviews and some other uh, fun things to talk about too. Uh, so. I will be posting the vlogs of uh, our Hawaii trip uh, over the next few weeks. So uh, as always, uh, we thank you all for joining us and uh, just listening to our. Uh, conversations. We love talking about a variety of things, and uh, we'll be hoping to see you next week. So, until then, everyone, take care.